So we're taking a couple of weeks this month to, to talk about who we are as a, as a family, um, what our core values are, what we believe in. And um, you know, I was thinking uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've been uh, working on a, on a little project. Uh, my family has a, has a ranch. My mom has a ranch that's special to my family. And uh, as, a, as a kid, some of my best memories are from you know, working out at that ranch when I started really small. That's where I learned to work. It's where I learned some work ethic and uh, life. And we had family get-togethers out there and uh, did a lot of hunting and fishing. And, and so over the past few years, that ranch has become just overrun with prickly pear and mesquite um, and just all kinds of other unhealthy plants that have crowded out, you know, healthy grass and, and have made the place a lot less productive. Um, and so uh, Jerry Stapp, the infamous Jerry Stapp has been running an excavator, and, 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 and he's really gaining on that. We're clearing out a couple of pastures. He's gaining on some of those mesquites. But what really keeps me up at night and just frustrates me is these, uh, these prickly pear. Uh, we've got a picture of a prickly pear, a cactus. I'm sure most of you are familiar with what, what one looks like. Um, it looks just like the This Is Us graphic, but there it is. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they just, uh, I really thought, you know, it would be easy. I overestimated uh, I have this habit of overestimating my ability and underestimating the challenge of the task at hand. And I thought, man, whatever, everybody, it's not going to be that hard. And man, you can spend hours and days, and really all you've accomplished is you've just, uh, you've spread around a bunch of them and made them mad, okay? And it's, it's really frustrating. Um, you know, you maybe have heard the expression that um, healthy things grow. Uh, but as, I, as I've been uh, working on this little project, I've been reminded that it's a more true statement to say that living things grow. You know, prickly pear, mesquite, weeds, cancer, these are all things that grow, but I wouldn't call them healthy. I wouldn't call them beneficial. And so things that are alive grow. But in our lives personally, and, and communally, there's times that we have to do this really hard, this really time-consuming, this really diligent labor of coming in and clearing out this old, unhealthy stuff so that we can replace it with something that is healthy, something that is beneficial. Um, anything that's alive grows, but just because it's growing, that doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, and Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about putting off the old, taking off the old, putting on the new, and that expression, that thought has kind of taken on new meaning for me over this past, you know, couple of weeks. Um, and just think about your life. Are there places, are there pastures in your heart? Is there kind of a back 40 in your heart where, um, you know, weeds, prickly pear, cactus, mesquite, cedar, these things have kind of taken over? Um, where areas of your heart and your life where maybe Habits of sin have set in, uh, maybe patterns like rage, selfishness, anxiety, fear, pride, where they've come in and they're choking out the goodness, they're choking out the fruit, they're choking out the things that God wants to accomplish in you and through you, and maybe they're rendering you ineffective. And then you think about communally, our church, our region, our nation. How, how, where are those areas where uh, things that are not healthy have taken root and are growing? Um, and are spreading, and are multiplying. I believe that a healthy person and a healthy community is one that does this diligent work of rooting out what is not healthy and cultivating what is healthy. If you think about your life, I mean, it takes this diligent 
um, continual spirit-guided work to root out of your heart and your life what's not healthy and to replace it with um, what is healthy. So again, we're, we've been talking about our core values. I think we've got a picture of our core values. I'll show you. We remember our core values here at Trinity by the acronym GROW. Uh, and, and, and the core values GROW, that, that, that what spells that acronym is Gospel, Relationships, On Mission, and worship, and we're just reminding ourselves of these core values because we don't want uh, these values to be things that we that we say we believe, but we don't really practice. Because truly, core values are these deeply held beliefs that drive our behavior. Um, and so, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the gospel and how the gospel drives what we do. The, the at the center of what we do is the story of Jesus, uh, 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 of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. The story of King Jesus. Um, but as we, as we think about what do, what do gospel-driven relationships, uh, what do gospel-driven relationships, what is gospel-driven mission, what does gospel-driven uh, uh, worship look like? I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. We got Acts chapter 2 up there? Are we, um, people are like looking behind me like, <laughs> thumbs up. There we go. That's what happens when you give comedians a computer in church, okay? Um. All right, thumbs up. So I want to read to you Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And this is a description of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is a description of the life of the early church. This is a healthy church, and, and, and it's growing in a healthy way. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and all their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Does that sound like a church you'd like to be part of? But I'm sure there were some that checked it out and said, you know what, I, I think the preacher really is, isn't funny enough, or, or maybe the temperature is not quite right. You know, and so there's all these ways that we evaluate church sometimes, but we need to evaluate it by, you know, is there, is there true fellowship? Uh, is the scripture taught, and is the scripture the, the, the rule and, and the standard? Um, is, is Jesus worshiped over our preferences? These are biblical ways to evaluate whether a church is healthy or not, okay? And so when we, when we talk about our core values grow, we didn't just pull these kind of out of thin air. We pulled these right from Acts chapter 2. We believe that the, the, the good news of King Jesus is at the center, and that's, and that's here as we look at Acts 2, at the center um, of their life together there's the apostles' teaching. What are the apostles teaching? The apostles are teaching that Jesus has fulfilled uh, God's word, that, that Jesus is the one that the old covenant had promised, that, and, and they're teaching that, that King Jesus is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. We see deep relationships as we look at this early church. We, we see people getting together in and, 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 and big groups together, then getting together in smaller groups in homes together. I'm sure everybody in the church didn't go to, to one person's house. That, you know, they're, uh, so they're going in, in, into these home groups, and, and they're building relationships. We didn't come up with the idea of groups that meet in homes. That's Acts chapter 2. We didn't, we didn't make that up. It's not a new thing. It's a very ancient thing. 
Um, You see this fellowship. They're they're sharing their life together. Somebody has a need. Uh, Somebody, Jedediah goes and sells his his camel and and, and helps the person who has a need. There's this common life. There's this kind of relationship where where, where they're laying it all down. They're all in for community together. Um, They're not trying to go it alone. There's a sense of mission. I mean, every day the Lord is adding to their number because these folks have had such an experience with the grace and the power and the beauty of God that they cannot stop talking about all that they've seen in her. They're on mission in the marketplace. They're on mission in the schoolhouse. They're on mission everywhere they go. And there's a sense of worship. Their lives are continually... Big group, small group, individually, their lives are reoriented around, uh, around God uh, through worship, away from self, and around King Jesus as worthy of honor. And so just to stay with that agricultural image that we started with, uh, the gospel is, is, is what transforms relationships, what transforms people. But community, relationships, that's the soil where transformation happens. If you want transformation, if you want growth, if you want change to happen in your life, you got to put down some roots in some soil and, and do life with a few people. And what ends up happening is we kind of hop around from soil to soil because maybe people just don't measure up or they let us down or or whatever happens. But there comes to be a point uh, to where we kind of put down some roots somewhere and and, 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 and gospel-centered, Christ-centered relationships, whether you're having... Christ-centered conversation around a cup of coffee or in a living room or in a classroom, wherever that, you know, out in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, smoking a pipe or whatever that is. Uh, um, Gospel-centered, Christ-centered relationships are the soil where transformation happens. Uh, Mission is the fruit of transformation. Man, if God's done something in me, Man, I'm, I'm putting down roots in some community. I'm developing some Christ-centered relationships. And then what's going to happen at the overflow of that is fruit is going to begin to be manifesting in my life. I'm not going to be able to stop but want to serve people and help people and tell people about Jesus. I can't keep it inside. It's like a fire in my bones. And so mission, uh, uh, serving others, uh, sharing the gospel in word and in deed, that's the fruit that transformation is happening in my life. That's the fruit on the tree. And then worship is what fuels transformation. You ever just get tired, you get wore out, get beat down, you, you lose focus, you start thinking about yourself, you take your eyes off Jesus, you start, you start uh, thinking about poor, poor you. Is that anybody or is that just me? When, worship, when we worship, we, we get refocused away from self as the center of the universe and onto King Jesus as the center of the universe and worship nourishes, it fuels transformation. So worship is the fuel or the nourishment of transformation. Relationships are the soil where transformation happens. Um, And mission is the fruit that transformation is happening. And we see all this kind of come together in John chapter 4. You don't have to go there, but maybe bookmark it for later. John chapter 4. Remember what happens in John 4? Jesus encounters this woman at a well, and she had all her friends with her, right? What What was going on with this woman? She was alone. She was isolated. She was living in shame. She was separated by community, from community. She had gone down uh, to, uh, to the well at a time that, that the other ladies weren't there. Anybody ever tell you that, that, that ladies can be kind of mean if there's a lady that, that doesn't fit in? Y'all ever figured this out? I heard this. A lady told me this one time, but I, I've never seen it personally happen. So this, this lady was out there, and, and she was alone. 
and Jesus meets her. And transformation begins. There's this, this relationship. He, he models um, that, you know, she, he models mission. He doesn't say, hey, they've got something really cool happening at the temple where they won't let you in the door. He says, let's just make the temple right here at the well. Let me, tell, let me, let me, let me share with you about me <laughs> right here where you already are. He goes to where she already is. And through relationship with Jesus, she's transformed. And then their conversation turns to worship. And she's dipping into the well. And she says, your people say we worship over here, and my people say we worship over there. And Jesus says, there's coming a day when, my, when, when, when he says, when, uh, you know, you're going to worship in spirit. And in truth, the Father seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And she's drawn from this well, and he says, if you drink this, it's not going to satisfy. You're going to thirst again, but I have something to offer you that you can drink it and you'll never be thirsty again. And so the question in this text is, what well are you drawn from? Are you drawn from this well that's not going to satisfy you? Are you continually going back to a, a, a relationship or a, a sinful pattern or, uh, or, 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 or workaholic, whatever it is? What well are you drawn from? And is it a well that's really fulfilling your thirst or is it leaving you thirsty? What are we really worshiping? Their conversation in John 4 is all about relationship. It's all about mission. It's all about worship. It's all about the gospel. We see these core values play out right there. Are you thirsty? It's a good question for you. It's a good question for me. What well am I drawn from? So if we're going to have a healthy community, not only do we individually need to be kind of rooting out the prickly pear in our heart and helping one another do that. Um, but, but one really important part of being in a healthy family or a healthy community is having healthy leadership. Um, leadership reflects our values. So whoever we have in leadership, whether it's in a family, a church, or a, or a nation, that reflects the values that we hold, okay? And so our son, Ethan, who's just turned five, uh, I hope I get this story right, Morgan. He was talking to his vice principal, Morgan Martin, and he said something to the, to the, to the tune of, how come Crystal, that's the elementary principal, how come Crystal Altoff is everybody's boss? He said, well, he said, he said Miss Martin, why is, why is Crystal everybody's boss? And then he just said, well, I guess that's just the way God wanted it to be. And there's something in the mind of a child even that grasps um, the healthy leadership matters, that God has designed families, he's designed churches um, to have healthy leaders. Um, and so in 1 Peter 2, we have this mind that we read earlier, we have this mind-blowing truth that all God's people, every single one of us, are called priests. If you know Jesus, you're a priest. How about that? Every single one of us. But then in 1 Peter 5, Peter is going to address leaders in the church. And the role of leaders in the church, if we're going to be healthy leaders, is that, that our job is to equip the saints, equip the priesthood to have the tools to function as priests to one another and to the outside world. There's a stunning, two stunning biblical truths right here in, 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 in 1 Peter, the letters. 1 Peter, it's towards the end of the New Testament, that all of God's people are called priests. 
And God has entrusted leadership to the congregation to help each of us as priests become the priests that God called us to be. And in 1 Peter 5, if you'll turn there, we're going to look at how godly leaders lead. But before we go there, as you're going there, Matthew 23, 11 really summarizes what leadership in God's kingdom looks like. When we hear that word leadership, by the way, often we import like some unhealthy cultural versions of leadership onto it. We think maybe really heavy-handed. We think egotistical. We think all these things, maybe these poor forms of leadership that we've seen. But Jesus says in Matthew 23, he says in 23, 11, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And that word for servant is the word deacon. The greatest among you will be the deacon of all. Um, The greatest among you will be your servant. Um, In the kingdom of God, leadership is really servanthood. It's really serving. Um, N.T. Wright says that the moment you stop being a servant, you cut off the branch on which your priestly ministry is growing. The moment you stop being a foot washer is the moment you stop being a fruit bearer. Hear that. We follow a Lord who got down, and not only did he come to the earth as one of us, he came to where we are, and we're still trying to get people to come where we are, but he came to where we are, and then he got down on his hands and knees and did the work of a slave and washed his disciples' feet, says the greatest among you will be your servant. Then he's nailed to a cross, taking our place. Humility is what marks out biblical Christian leadership. The moment we stop being a foot washer is the moment we stop being a fruit bearer. we got to get this idea of leadership out of our mind as we understand it and understand that leadership in the kingdom of God is about washing feet. It's about serving. So 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, Peter is writing, he says, I exhort, and that's a strong word, exhort. I'm really, really strongly encouraging. I'm admonishing the elders among you. That word elder is plural. There's this team of leaders in this early church that, that Peter is writing. There's not a solo guy um, that's uh, kind of a CEO leader that we can just get rid of when we don't like him. Uh, He's not a hired hand. In this New Testament church that Peter is writing, he's talking to a team of leaders. And in the New Testament, this word elder, pastor, and shepherd are all used interchangeably to talk about the same people. And it's always plural. There's a sense of team leadership in the New Testament. Why do we need team leadership? Because individually, we're prone to wander and we're prone to lead towards unhealthy and unbiblical forms of leadership. We need one another. He says, I'm your fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, man, I saw Jesus crucified and I'm looking to the day that I partake in and participate in his glorious return. He says, now he's going to give us a job description for leaders, particularly elders slash pastors, but all Christian leaders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd. When we think about how does a shepherd shepherd? He does so sometimes firmly, but overall he does so gently. He says, shepherd the flock. Um, exercising oversight. Now, the, another part of this job description is, is overseeing and, and making sure uh, we, we have our vision set on Jesus and, 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 and helping one another and, and correcting even when necessary. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you got to, not because your paycheck depends on it, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. A Christian leader is an example. An elder, a pastor, is an example that we can look at and say, well, that guy's not perfect, clearly, but that guy is growing and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When, 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 I, when, I, when I see this person, I'm reminded of the character of Christ. And when the chief shepherd appears, see, every pastor, every elder, every leader is an under-shepherd, under Jesus. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be submissive or be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Powerful stuff here. He says, you who are younger, and that might mean younger in age, it might mean younger in maturity, uh, submit to, show deference to, trust even, the leadership that God has given you. Um, and then he, he says this really astonishing thing. He says, all of you, elders, deacons, staff, congregation, every single, the, the, the most mature, the least mature, all of you, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, clothe yourself, all of you, in humility toward one another. That applies to all of us, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a, a banker, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, whether you, you just walked in the door and you just met Jesus five seconds ago. He says, all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do we want God to be opposed to us, hostile to us? He says, God is opposed to, hostile to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Humility is evidence that God's grace has been at work in your life. Um, pride is like a prickly pear, to go back to where we started. You ever try to stomp pride out completely from your life? And we find that maybe we get a handle on it in one place, and then it crops up somewhere else where we were least expecting it. Anybody else, or is this just me? Is this just me? Cool. We deal with it in one place. And then it pops up somewhere else. And if you're here today and you say, man, I've got pride beat. I am the humblest person ever. Let's talk after the service. And you can tell me how you did that. Peter says to the, the elders, as a shepherd, oversee, be an example, and do all of it humbly. Then he says, do all of us. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. Pride's like that prickly pear. We think we've gotten rid of it. But then, man, it comes back with a vengeance. It comes back with a vengeance. Pride says, I don't need community. What have they done for me lately? Pride says, this group of people doesn't meet my standards. Anybody? Pride says, serve others. How about somebody serves me for a change? Pride says, let's make everything about me, even worship. Pride ends up constructing a false gospel with me at the center of the universe, sitting on a throne, and that gospel cannot save you, cannot deliver you, cannot transform you. A healthy person in a healthy community is one that does this diligent work of rooting out what's not healthy and cultivating what is healthy. And our battle with pride is kind of like my battle with prickly pear. It's going to be going on a long time. 
and we need all the help we can get. We need one another. We need the grace of God. Uh, So do you ever make judgments about people based on what they wear? If you see somebody wearing skinny jeans and somebody wearing, uh, wearing, somebody laughed when I said skinny jeans, so there's some judgment going on. If you see somebody wearing skinny jeans and somebody wearing Wranglers, do you kind of evaluate kind of what type of people these people are? Yes. (laughs) If you see somebody wearing boots and somebody wearing sandals, you kind of draw some some conclusions, see somebody wearing a Make America Great Again cap and somebody wearing Change You Can Believe In cap, you make some, draw some conclusions about those folks. Somebody wearing revealing clothing, somebody wearing modest clothing, I'm glad you dressed modestly today, Will, but for a change, but somebody wearing revealing clothing versus somebody wearing modest clothing, we draw conclusions. And Paul is, or Peter, excuse me, is saying here that the thing that marks out believers uh, the defining clothing of the people of God is humility Um, not making much of ourselves you can be confident you can be strong you can be all those things and still be humble I want to talk about just four practices that can help us cultivate humility Things that kind of help us plow the ground and maybe develop some humility in our lives. And I know this is a lifelong struggle for me. Will be. Um, probably you too. If we want to develop humility in our lives, a couple things we can do is one, we can listen. I think I've got these you can pull up. We listen. Anybody have a problem of talking more than you listen? Even like on social media, we just, oh, I see somebody that doesn't agree with me somewhere. I better go straighten them out. Anybody have that? Compulsion, repent, right? Listen. Um, Pretty sure we got it on the screen. Listen. Um, What's the next one? Somebody somebody help me. You don't know because it's on my notes. Embrace imperfections. Embrace imperfections. Who was it that sang, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can? Uh, Huh? Mac Davis. Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the best I can. Some of us find it hard to be humble because we've lost sight that we have a lot of imperfections. And maybe you're trying to mask those imperfections. And what humility says is, you know what? Maybe these imperfections are cracks where God's grace and God's goodness can just shine through me. Um, Ask forgiveness. Ask. Ask forgiveness. Ask questions. Do you find that when pride comes in, we struggle to ask forgiveness? Anybody? Well, I asked forgiveness last time. It's their turn. Ask forgiveness. Ask questions. Somebody's agreeing with me. Ask questions. Deepen dependence. Deepen a sense of dependence on Jesus that I am dependent on him. I am not an island. I cannot do this on my own. I need him. I need you. Listen. Embrace imperfections. Ask forgiveness. Deepen dependence. And that spells lead and The more you practice those four things, the more you're going to find that people are looking to you as an example. You're somebody, you're becoming somebody that is a leader. You're becoming somebody that people want to pattern their lives after. We'll find that we begin to lead. You know, the other day I tried to put on a pair of pants and uh, I couldn't button them because um, I'm getting a little bit of a gut. Um, and I know exactly, I'm not confused at all about what it's going to take to get rid of that gut. I know exactly what it's going to take. It's going to take changing what I'm eating. It's going to take getting back to exercising. I'm not confused. 
I just haven't yet been willing to do it. And when it comes to the prickly pear in your life, you're not confused. You are not. Don't sit here and say, I don't know what to do. You know. You know. It just doesn't hurt bad enough yet. So today, we're going to have an opportunity to say, you know what, Lord, there's some, there's some cactus in my heart, in my life, that I need help uprooting. We're going to have a, a, a few moments at, at these last few minutes, we're going to have a few moments of commissioning of some new deacons, our elders, and uh, our new elders, and, and our, our staff members who are not new, but that we want to go ahead and affirm them. So I'm going to start with having um, our, our elders come forward, if you will. <laughs>